Well, I'm sure you all have had a busy day today, and I'm really glad to be with folks who value what we're doing here as um, worth planning your supper, missing your supper, getting your homework done early, and all those things it takes to be here tonight. Really good to be with you all. I really appreciate you. And thank you for joining us as we study this uh, special subject that's been assigned to me. Uh, there are some who are visiting with us tonight from other places. I met some folks from Jamestown, maybe other folks uh, I didn't get a chance to say hello to from other places. Um, it was a couple of years ago that a church not far from where uh, Kim and I live in Newcastle, Indiana, asked me if I would come over and present some lessons on uh, the eldership. And they said that we're not interested in sort of the normal kind of subjects that are talked about, like the, the, going through the qualifications uh, uh, and discussing them in detail. So we're, we're, not, we're not interested in that. We want you to just talk about um, a church and eldership and how a church develops elders and, and just things like that. And so I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can on that uh, for number of years I've preached on elders and uh, on occasion helped appoint them and sometimes helped the church stabilize after it was broadsided by an eldership that resigned and stepped down and left the church now with no eldership at all. And, uh, and then for the last few years I've served as an elder myself. And, and so from all those things I come to this subject with a sense of inadequacy that God knows, God knows how I how I understand this. And I want to tell you that too. I, I am humbled by this uh, teaching and responsibility and all of that. And to be able to talk about it, um, I wish somebody else were here and I could listen. But I'm, I understand my responsibilities. And so my job is to say what God says about this subject and listen to it myself and, and otherwise get myself out of the picture. So you can think about the things that you've come here for, and that's not to listen to me. You've come to listen to what God has to say about a subject that's really important to the Christians in this generation. And, and from what folks older than me have said, it is the crying need of, uh, of the Lord's churches in this generation, not for more evangelists, but for more men who will be qualified and willing to serve as elders and shepherds in local church. That is the great need of the Lord's people. I share that conviction, and so with uh, shaky knees, then I'll I'll try to talk about this subject and and hope to be able to say some things that'll be of, of uh, value to all of us and to those that we'll talk to about this subject in generations to come. Started out um, yesterday morning talking about uh, gifted differently, and all of us have different gifts and responsibilities to work and serve, and then we followed that up with a discussion of the work of an elder, and then last night we talked about the qualifications, not in, in, in a dictionary kind of a way, but as they relate to the work that God has given the people, his people to do, uh, shepherds to do. And so tonight I want to talk about how a church is to treat her elders. And, and uh, last night we talked about the qualifications, and I have a, mentioned a time or two already that there are other works described in the Bible that come with qualifications. Priests in the Old Testament had qualifications. Nazarites had qualifications. 
uh, there were qualifications for an apostle. There are qualifications laid down for the seven who served the early church in Acts chapter 6. And so it's, it's helpful to be able to look at uh, why God gives qualifications for certain kinds of work, what they are, how he expects us to interpret those, <clears throat> to understand them and to apply them, and so forth. But it is to say, I think, the obvious, that if qualifications are laid down, and they certainly are for someone who will serve as an elder in a local church, then with that comes the responsibility to analyze someone to make sure that they meet the qualifications given. And I'm, I'm emphasizing the idea of analysis. Okay, now, since I want to talk tonight about a church's relationship to the elders and how a church treats the elders, I, I, I want to start at, at that uh, brief period of time right before a man might serve as an elder. And I want you to think about how a church should treat her elders beginning at that point. And, and what I mean is this. How would you, how would you like it if it was the responsibility of a whole church to examine your family and especially your children to determine if they were faithful to the Lord or faithful enough for you to serve as an elder? How would you like being subjected to an entire congregation's scrutiny in that regard? Or, who would get excited about having their marriage, or the habits of their home life, or how they've disciplined their children, or how consistently have they done this, or what advice have they given at crucial periods of of a child's life? To have a church, a whole church, analyze your family and your life at that level. How would, how would you, how excited would you be about that? How would you like if a whole church felt the responsibility to examine your teaching ability? Realizing that the Bible says an elder must be one who is skilled as a teacher. And so in an effort to determine whether you could serve as an elder, then a church begins to analyze how you ha- how you how effective you are as a teacher. How would you how would you feel about that? Or if they and they would have to look at your temperament. And what if somebody uh, examined your temper and, and recalled a time five years ago when there was this very tense situation and they remember that in that tense, tense situation your face got red? Now, what are we supposed to think about that? Or, or maybe someone recalled uh, earlier in your life when you actually got mad about something and, and they might have judged that to be an inappropriate expression of your anger. And that that now becomes a subject of discussion in regard to whether you'd be qualified to serve as an elder. How, how would you? So how does a church treat her elders? And what I want you to, I want you to recognize 
is that for a man and his wife and his family to say, I am willing to let the congregation decide if if I am qualified to serve because I have a desire to serve this church as an elder. How should you treat that man? And I want you, I want to put you in their shoes. That's really important to do that. Help them. Love them. Handle this in such a way that it does not discourage a second generation of now young men who might be older men later. Don't handle this in such a way that's going to cause anyone else to say, man, I wouldn't want to do anything like that. Don't do that. How How is a church supposed to treat her elders? I want you to stand in their shoes. That's the best place to be in order to answer that question. Now, I want to zoom forward a little bit. Who would relish the responsibility of being the first person, or if there's an eldership of three people, who would relish the responsibility of being the first three people to step into the comfortable life of someone who is not obeying the Lord? And they go to this door, and they they knock on the door, and they see a ruffling of the curtain, and the little noise that they heard when the door, when, when they first knocked on the door, ceased. No one came to the door, and everything was quiet. Sometimes people act like that when they know the elders have come to talk to them, because they know why. They know why. And they may not want to talk to these men. How would you feel about that if it was your feet in their shoes when that knock on the door is made? Can you imagine how that, how difficult such a thing is? To go talk to some people who do not want to talk to you. Who wants, who wants to ask people to change? Who relishes the responsibility to face a false teacher? Who is fully convinced and on fire for what they think is right, but what they think is right is wrong? And somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to talk to them. Somebody's got to open the dialogue. How how would you like to be that person? How are you going to handle church disciplinary matters? If you act right now, you open yourself up to the possibility that somebody's going to say you're moving too quickly. Yep. If you wait, it may be too late. And you open yourself up for criticism that somebody's going to say you move too slow. 
So how's a church supposed to think about men who have volunteered to take on such responsibilities for the individuals whose souls are in jeopardy and for an entire church who has entrusted them with oversight? How are you to treat these men? The one who runs point, and, and that's the term that, that fits for me. The, the, the men who are out front, who have got to provide by way of example, and sometimes by way of instruction, this is the way we need to do, this is the direction that we need to go, this is what God says, come on, stand up. Be the be God's people in this situation, and let's do what's right. Somebody's got to run point, but it's dangerous out there. And you're opening yourself up for criticism, and there are, and you're vulnerable to the pot shots of disgruntled critics. As are watching, and crit, including those of the critics, but the work is too important. The, the souls of people are too important. The work of, a, of the Lord's church is too important to back away because somebody won't answer the door. Or because you don't know what exactly the approach of a false teacher is going to be. Or you may feel unprepared for a situation. And I've never faced this kind of situation. What am I supposed to say? What are we supposed to say? And what are we supposed to do? You can't back down. You gotta stand. You gotta pray. You gotta treat other people like the Lord would want you to treat them no matter how they treat you. You've gotta do those things. So, how a church is to treat these men who serve as elders in a local congregation is ultimately defined and explained in the Bible, and I want to point out uh, three or four, uh, uh, three or four things that the Bible has to say about this subject, uh, as it applies to what a local church can do to hold up the hands of those who are shepherding, and to and to work with them in such a way that encourages a younger generation of men to serve as elders and godly women to help their husbands to serve as elders to to make them aspire to that. Because the, the goal is not for there to be elders in this congregation now. The, the goal is for there to be elders in this congregation and that all, everybody here is working, that they're always developing men who will serve as qualified elders for generations to come. That's, that's, the, that's the vision of a local congregation. So I'd like to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you would open your Bibles there to verse number 4. Because uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, it deals uh, with a situation in which there are there is the potential for problems. Now, the, the immediate circumstances concerns miraculous spiritual gifts, and some uh, thought other people were uh, really great, and others thought themselves were... It's really small, and there was a danger of pride and this feeling of inadequacy. 
And, and the potential for tension and strife in that church was great. So how, how are Christians supposed to treat each other when there is the potential of things going wrong? Turning sideways and, and everything getting messed, messed up. What do you need? Well, you don't need more time and you don't need more instruction particularly. What you really need in, in this in this real life relationship of people with different personalities and backgrounds and education and ages and lengths of time in Christ and all these uh, different personalities, what you really need when the, this group of people is supposed to work well together is love. And there was a time I thought First Corinthians chapter thirteen verses four through seven was really kind of uh, softball. Stuff to talk about and preach about. And I've gone 180 degrees from that. This is tough stuff. This is the essential stuff. And, and sadly, this is the stuff that if you leave it out, you are nothing. Read the first three verses of this chapter. You may have a lot of good things going for you, but if you don't have love as the environment in which everything else works, you've got nothing. And I want to suggest that, that this biblical love that is to be the environment that makes these potentially difficult relationships, make those relationships work well, while that's the very quality that's needed for a local church to work well with her elders and her elders to work well with the church. It needs to be an environment of love. But, but, it's not easy. And it is really hard. It's really tough. And I'm going to say at the end of this lesson what I will say right now. For a church to seriously consider the appointing, the appointment of men to serve as elders calls for the very best out of all of us. It really does. We've all got to step up, and it's it's time for our A-game. As Christians, it's time to show what we're made of and to show that Christ is living in us, and we're going to think and act and react like Christ does. And he he has has taught us to. And so, the, the consideration of elders in a local congregation, it calls for them to show love. For those who are elders. So let's, let's look at specifically what that means. Verse number four, love is patient. And love is kind. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a second. Go back to what I said at the beginning of this lesson about that period of time right before men serve as elders when they're being uh, analyzed, when they're being examined to see if they qualify. Okay? That's, that's got to be done. Qualifications were given by the Lord. This is not work just for anybody to do. Okay, so you gotta, okay, so we've got that, but let's do it with love. So let's be kind to each other. I have more to say about that in just a moment. But love is patient and love is kind. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked. 
Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the first three three words of verse 8, love never fails. What the Corinthians owed to each other was love. That's how they're going to get through this problem with spiritual gifts. Love is what is a, a local church is to offer to those who would serve. And these are the specific ways in which love is to show itself. Look at the qualifications like God does. Look at the men who are willing to serve and look at them like God does. God knows that men can qualify. That is the obvious conclusion from the fact that there are qualifications given. God knows that men can qualify. So beware if you possess or see in others attitudes that are inclined to eliminate everyone. As they sound as though they're trying, but you know what? No one seems to qualify. Be, be, be very careful. Don't, don't possess such a spirit. Possess the spirit that God has. God believes there are people who are qualified in every church to serve as overseers. Think about this work and about these men and their families who volunteer to do that. Think like God does about this. And be very careful about anyone who would so dilute these qualifications as to allow everyone and someone clearly not fitted to serve as a shepherd of the Lord's people. That can happen as well. And, and, and both, would be, both would be a violation of God's, of God's teachings. We've talked before about the qualifications in other areas, and priests and Nazarites and apostles and, and so on. And, and to understand that God is not demanding perfection of those who He would deem qualified. He is not demanding perfection of those men who would serve as priests or Nazarites or apostles or as the seven servants in Acts chapter 6. God doesn't handle qualifications that way, nor should we. And before I leave this point, I, I want to go to a passage where love is not specifically mentioned, but it sure does, this passage sure does seem to fit. Matthew chapter 7, and verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down to verse number 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, as it relates to how a church is to treat her elders, and as it relates to um, a church making sure that there is an environment of loving behavior among all Christians, uh, that that loving environment is where problems are solved. They're not created or made worse. And in, in that context, Jesus said here toward the end of this Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And he's, he's, he's not talking about discernment, nor is he talking about Analyzing someone who is being considered to serve as an elder. He's talking about this 
harsh judgmentalism that can characterize people who have embraced things that are true, but they're not handling the truth properly. I really believe that the immediate application of this was to the Sermon on the Mount itself. And that those who heard Jesus teach would have been blown away in excitement over what they had just heard. But there was a danger. And the danger was that in your excitement, you begin turning around and and applying what's been said in a judgmental way. That is kind of human nature. And Jesus said, don't do that with what I've just told you. Do not judge so that you'll not be judged. Number one. Number two. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you again. So be very careful. The, the, the standard that you use to measure people is going to be the standard that's going to be used to measure you. And someone may, may have a clear grasp of what is right. There's no problem with that. But they can handle what's right in the wrong way. And so Jesus said, for in the way you judge, you'll be judged. So all of us, the the truth that we have, the convictions that we have, the understanding of the qualifications for an elder, in whatever area we might want to apply this, make sure that we're handling these things in the right way. And the right way is to say, okay, how would I like this attitude to be expressed toward me. How would I like my thinking or my words to be used to address my family? How, how would that fit? How would that feel? We've got to be very, very careful. We want to do what's right, stand for what's right, and do it in the right way. And so in, 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 and then in connection with that, go down to verse number 12. And the golden rule, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. I think this ought to be a a poster somewhere in a congregation where Christians meet regularly, and they're considering... Appointing elders and men are are willing to be considered. This this verse ought to be where everybody can see it somehow. Treat people like you want to be treated. Imagine that you're going to be examined by a whole congregation who will have to look at your marriage and your children and your teaching ability to know whether you're qualified to serve as an elder. How would you like how would you like somebody to treat you? When, when that kind of work needs to be done. How would you like them to handle their measuring stick that they're going to use toward you? And really think through that. And then make sure that that's how you treat them. And when that happens, Jesus smiles. Because he has seen people put into practice the very words that he taught a long time ago in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. The second thing I want to say about this takes us to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 7. Hebrews 13, verse number 7. So the, the, the first thing I wanted to, wanted to say about how a church is to treat your elders is this environment of love. 
that is to guide all of us, even when we bump into each other from time to time. The second thing I want to say, I must say because of what the Bible says, is that we must be ready, a congregation must be ready to obey and imitate those who serve as shepherds. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says this, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Remember, consider, and imitate. Don't take these men for granted. Remember them. Reflect upon them. Pray for them. Remember them. Consider them. Think about them. Think about the life they're trying to live. Think about the family they're trying to present to God each day. Consider them. And then don't forget where their godly and faithful life is going. See them put their lives, their marriage, their family at the cross. See them do that imperfectly, in need of the Savior every day, absolutely. But see them do that. And understand, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian. And so, verse 7, as uh, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So a congregation should remember and consider and imitate. And then turn over, and my Bible will have to turn a page, but go down to verse 17 of the same chapter. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Be responsive to the effort of elders to watch over your souls. And your response to their efforts are specified here. And it says specifically that your response is to obey them and to submit to them. And this this idea in verse 17, uh, that it not be... A grief, and I, I, I don't want, I don't, I, I just can't talk too much about the things that can happen to make the work of an elder so much more difficult. But the, but the scriptures say that we must be careful not to handle ourselves in a way that makes their work. A, 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 a grievous kind of thing. If every decision that an elder eldership tries to make is uh, argued or second-guessed or resisted or looked upon with some suspicion, I, I just can't. I, I just can't describe to you how much harder it is for those men to, to effectively do the work that they should do. That, in contrast with a congregation that is confident in their work and prays for them 
and submits and leads, uh, submits to their leadership and obeys. There is hardly a pain that can compare to that of trying to help someone serve the Lord or a group of people to serve the Lord and that that help is questioned and resisted or met with some stubbornness. And the groaning inside of an eldership is that which probably no one will ever hear. So obey and imitate. And then lastly, I want, I want to say that the Bible teaches that a church should hold these men in high regard. And I want to go to First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verses 12 and 13. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. How do you go about appreciating somebody? How do you, how do you appreciate your wife? How do you appreciate your husband? How do you, how do you go about appreciating some, somebody? I think that you you got you, you put yourself in their shoes. If you're thinking about your wife, you're you put yourself in her shoes and the work that she has to do. Maybe she uh, her, she might work outside the home and and then also try to do all that's required in the home and and caring for children and caring for you and working with other sisters and brothers in Christ and all the things. Put yourself in her shoes. You know why she's so tired at the end of the day. She needs love and she needs attention and she needs your help. You, how do you how do you come to appreciate your wife? I, you know, I, I'm thinking out loud as I'm talking about all this, but you know, you, you you put yourself in their shoes, and it applies, I think, to everybody else. And that's certainly how it is for appreciating those. You serve as elders in a local church. You put yourself in their shoes. And you, you, you remember, first of all, that these men are accountable to God and they never forget that. And they really do want, they really do want people to go to heaven. And they'd like for people to listen and try and stretch and grow and change because God wants them to. And you put yourselves in their shoes and, and you, you see what, what, it's, what it's like. From, from that time they're scrutinized to see whether they even qualify or not, all the way through their life as an elder, you put yourself in their shoes and you, and you, 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 try, to, you try to see what it's like. And that's how you appreciate them. And that's what this verse starts out by saying. 
that we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And then verse 13 says a second thing, and that is that you esteem them very highly in love. And there's that word love, that, in, in, that this uh, esteeming them very highly is done in love. And I, I understand that to be the, the, that the cloud in which all, are, or the atmosphere in which all of these relationships are carried out is this environment that's full of and defined by love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And so in that environment, a church esteems them very highly. They, they regard them, they, they, they see them as helping in some significant way. And they love them for that. Their labors for this church have not been taken for granted. They have been noticed. And they, they, these men are held in high esteem. And verse 13 ends by saying simply, live in peace with one another. And you'll make an elders a heart full of so much joy when that is exactly what is happening in a local church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Let me look at a couple more passages and then I'll, I'll stop. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, and the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Okay, verse number 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Give, uh, give those who are older... Give those who are older special treatment because of their age. Don't do this. Don't strongly rebuke them. Don't lash out at them. Don't get something off of your chest by laying it on them. Don't be harsh. Don't humiliate them. Don't talk down to them. Don't be rough. And don't be abusive. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. And so do this. Make requests with gentleness and with a reluctance or a hesitance that you might have if you were trying to approach your father about some potentially difficult issue. How would you talk to your dad? And once that gets squared away in your mind, that's how you are to approach an elder. And in chapter 5, uh, verse number 19 and 20, uh, let's read these two verses together, and this will be my the last passage that I want us to look at. 1 Timothy 5, verses 19 and 20, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Elders can make mistakes. Elders can use bad judgment. Elders can do things that are sinful. 
And those things must be addressed because we love them. And we want them to go to heaven too. But they do deserve some protection because they run point. And they're out there where, and they are the, they are the, the, the thing I grew up with is the hit dog howls. The hit dog howls. You know what? That, that happens spiritually. And sometimes when you're talking to somebody about a spiritual problem and you nail it, instead of responding properly to it, the one who is involved in the sin starts howling. The hit dog howls. And sometimes, instead of receiving the message as it ought to be received, they turn against the messenger. And an elder or an eldership that's running point on a lot of these kinds of things runs the risk of having accusations made against them that are simply reactions to the work of elders trying to help people do right. And so the warning given to Timothy is, you do not receive an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by, what does it say? By receiving accusations except on the basis of two or three witnesses. You do not... You, you do not listen to it, that accusation. You do not believe it. You do not further investigate it. You do not respond to it. They deserve that protection. And so, Timothy is instructed, if an accusation is made against an elder, or eldership, and it is not confirmed by two or three people, you do not regard that as a legitimate accusation at all. Protect these men. Protect their reputations. A reputation that they brought to the service of a church to, to be elders. Help them protect that. That's not to say these men are above accusation or above doing wrong. They certainly might. And this is the very passage that says so. But they need to be handled in the, in the right way that respects the kind of work and the risks that go with the work that they are doing. And so I've, I've tried tonight, I know what I've said has been simple, but I think what I've said is biblical. Here's what, here's how a church is to treat her elders. They are to love them. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. They are to obey and to imitate these godly men. And they are to appreciate them. And they are to hold them in high regard. So, uh, I will end where I told you I would end. And that is by saying this. That a study of elders in every church, a study of eldership kind of things, calls out for the very best in all of us. I was talking to some brethren here last night and and made the observation, I believe it to be true, that you when you appoint elders in a local church, you're going to find out what people are made of. You're going to find out what a church is made of. It might not always be evident, but it probably will be evident when they try to appoint elders. What you are made of as a Christian is going to be going to be shown. And and the success of all of this 
calls for the very best in your resolve to be a Christian. He calls for your A game. Because you're going to have to study the Bible. You're going to have to obey what it says. You're going to have to appreciate men, wives, children who are trying to serve you and to serve the Lord. You're going to have to think outside of yourself. You're going to have to be willing to change your mind. You're going to have to be willing be willing to listen. Listen well and communicate with love. You're going to have to have a selfless concern for others. You're going to have to put your feet in their shoes. You're going to have to treat other people like you would like them to treat you if you were in their situation. You're going to have to be gracious. And you're going to have to be very careful when you make judgments as it affects a man and his wife and his family. You're going to be very careful with that. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, this, this calls for the very best of God's people. That's how we're to treat elders. That's how we're to treat this whole matter. For it's a time that we put our faith into action. We trust God. We trust His plan. And we're, we're doing our best to implement His plan. And we're doing it with absolute faith in Him. And we love those who are willing to serve as shepherds. And we're going to help them in every way. And as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with all men. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. So let me close by uh, saying what sometimes comes up from elders and uh, who, who are concerned maybe that members of a local church are drifting too far. There's things going on that indicate there might be some spiritual problems. And an eldership has to decide, how do you handle that? When do you talk? Is this really a concern or are we misreading this? Respond quickly, do we wait? If we wait, is it we waiting too late? How, how is it? So I simply want to ask you as you examine your life tonight and now as I, I examine mine as well, if we are drifting and we're not, we're not where we ought to be and we're not who we ought to be as children of God, may we have the kind of hearts that can be touched by the love of our Savior who calls us to come home and calls us to a resolve and convictions that are deep and real and come return to serve Him. And maybe that's something that just will happen privately, and maybe it's happening privately right now. Or maybe it's something that needs this family of Christians needs to be aware of, and you need to talk about it publicly among yourselves, and you need the help of the other Christians here. That's what a family does. And maybe now would be a time to do those kinds of things, if that be your desire. And certainly if you've not become a Christian. Wow, all of this is talked about because there is nothing more important in all this world and then to come to know Christ and to live in His presence. Trust His promises. To live for Him and, and, and to one day be with Him. And if you, haven't, if you haven't had your sins forgiven and come into that relationship with Christ, we hope you want to do that tonight. And if we can help you obey the Lord, let us know while we stand to sing this invitation song.